lifetime could merit God's grace. Nothing I'll do can take it away. I have one hope in life and death. I have been clothed in Christ's righteousness. Nothing remains since Jesus has died. Justice was paid, the judge satisfied. Great is my sin, greater his love. I have been I have been On earth satisfies I was designed to thirst after Christ Back in by Him drink can be filled I am content yet yearn for Him still Nothing but Christ can undo the fall
Let's take our Bibles and turn over to the book of Daniel. Old Testament book, one of the prophets, Daniel. We're going to go to chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 10 is where we'll start reading. Daniel is an amazing man, and yet we're not going to talk about him. We'll talk about his three buddies. Daniel chapter 3, beginning verse 10. Say evil communication corrupts good manners. Well, you better be careful who you hang around, what you expose yourself to, what you allow yourself to be influenced by. In this case, Daniel and his buddies are, of course, uh, removed from their home and ultimately taken to Babylon. Look what the Bible says in Daniel chapter 3. Let's go ahead and begin reading verse 10. We'll go back to verse 8. Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Yeah, okay. Thou, O king, that's what we call a suck up. They spake and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, has made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whosoever falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship. Excuse me, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, We will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Father, we ask, Lord, that you'd bless our time in the word of God today. Be glorified now, Father, in everything that's said and done. May we as believers be inspired to stand strong on your behalf. To be willing to take a stand and not bend or break 
under pressure. Father, we need you now. I pray that you'd walk these aisles and do a work in our hearts. And for those that are listening via the live stream, we pray that you'd speak to their hearts too. God of heaven, we need you today. Please, Father, do a work in my life. Fill me with your spirit and allow me to be your mouthpiece. Be with every listening ear and may we hear with spiritual ears that we may leave here different than we came. We'll thank you and I will praise you in Christ's name. Amen. In 606 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, besieged Jerusalem. His strategy of conquest included integrating the Israelites into his culture and country. He didn't just go in and have a scorched earth program uh, or plan, although he, they were ruthless and they did unthinkable things. It was a very difficult time, of course, in that era of time, and here we have this king who said, you know, instead of just killing everyone, instead of just totally and completely wiping them out, I want to bring the very best that they have. I want to bring those that show some kind of promise or prospect back to our culture, back to our country, and I really, I want to see if we can get them in, uh, in, uh, kind of involved in the, the, the country, involved in the scheming and the planning and part of, become part of us and part of our nation. So he integrated these Israelites into his culture, his country, and one of the steps he employed was to bring those Israelites literally to where he was, to Babylon, not to leave them in their homeland, but to literally transport them to their homeland and then indoctrinate them in the Chaldean culture. Daniel and his three friends were among some of those young people that were removed from their homeland and brought to Babylon. By chapter 3, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they'd been set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. They had proven themselves to be worthy of a position in the government, if you will, and over even others there in the provinces. And that's where we enter our story. Nebuchadnezzar has erected a 90-foot statue. That statue likely represented or kind of resembled him. I got to believe that somehow, some way, you looked at the statue and you thought, oh, there's our king, King Nebuchadnezzar, 90 feet tall. When the music played, Everyone that hears the music is to bow down before the statue. Everyone's to pay homage to and respect to and adoration to the king. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they wouldn't bow. In our passage in Daniel chapter 3, look at verse 15. The Bible says, Now if ye be ready that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sack, but psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. Well, they didn't the first time. And then those, those men who were literally, you know, just trying to get the king to like him and all, they, they you know, oh, king, oh, live forever, king. Oh, by the way, let me tell you about these three stinking Hebrew kids. These young people you put in charge. These Hebrews, these Jews who come from another land and take up positions in our nation. I'll tell you about them bums. I got to believe they had a pretty bad attitude toward them. We've never had bad attitudes toward anybody, of course. 
but they did here in this case. And so here they are now, and they bring them before the king. And so here he says, now listen, I'm going to give you a chance. Okay, as soon as you hear that music, you guys just go ahead and bow. If you do that, everything's going to be fine. You just go back to work. You go back to your homes. You go back to, to uh, uh, your, your, your uh, uh, you know, nice dinners and lunches and breakfasts. You, everything will be easy. Man, I mean to tell you, it'll be a good life. You won't regret it. Just go ahead. Just don't rock the boat now. Just bow down and worship the image. But if you worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. A fiery furnace. That's what they had to look forward to. That's something, isn't it? What was their decision? I wonder what ours would have been. What's their decision? In verse 16 and 17, the Bible tells us that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said unto the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we're not, we're not careful to answer thee in this matter. They weren't being careless. That's not the implication. They're saying we're not careful. We don't have to think a lot about this one. We don't have to go back and, you know, read over, you know, how-to book or, or figure out what our parents might have to say about it or, or look any further. We've already done the research. We've read the Word of God. We know what our responsibility is as a good Jew to the God of heaven who is the only one and only God. Hey, we, we, we're not careful to answer thee on this matter. We already know the answer. We don't have to think about it in the least. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. You throw us in that furnace, God's able to deliver us. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. We see the dilemma that they're in, a fiery furnace. We note the decision, we will not bow. And we see their determination in verse 18, but if not. But if not. I know my God can deliver me. I know God can rescue us out of the fiery furnace and out of thine hand, King. We have no doubt about your power, the, our, our God's power. We have no, no question about his ability. And, and we are not going to worry about how we answer thee. We already know how we're going to answer you. Our God can, and he can, will deliver us. But if not, but if not, we're not bowing. We're not bowing. You know, the fiery furnace can easily represent a number of trials that you and I will face along life's journey. We're going to face difficulties, hard times. Every one of us will. And these particular saints, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, found themselves in a very serious dilemma. They were confronted with a very major decision, and yet they stood undaunted and they stood unmoved. They were not wavering in the least. They were determined to be faithful and loyal to the one and only true God. What's your price? What's my price? There are people in the world that think that everybody can be bought at a certain price. Obviously, these three young men could not be bought. Can we be bought or brought to our knees? Is there any circumstance that could cause us to retreat from our professed faith? 
Is there any situation that might tempt us to reject God's will and plan for our life? Is there any heartache or loss or disappointment that could cause us to cash in our faith and turn our back on the Lord Jesus? Hey, these three young men, who were probably no more than around 20 years of age, I mean, it's likely that they were taken between the ages of 15 and and 20. Some have said as low as 13 years of age. They could have been transported away, young men, 13 to 20 years of age. Now we find them in in this this faraway land. We find them even prospering in this land. We see them being promoted and elevated in this land. And they're just very young men at this point. Again, probably only around 20 years of age. And yet, no matter how high the price was, they would not bow. But if not, we're not bowing, King. Whether he delivers us out of that fiery furnace or not, whether he delivers us out of your hand or not, we aren't bowing. It means our lives will give them because that's how we believe, how much and how serious we are about our faith. Think about the Apostle Paul. He's probably one of the most prolific characters in all the Bible. At least in my mind, he is the most prolific outside of Christ himself. His contribution to the kingdom of God and humanity is unparalleled. We think about the book we hold in our hand. We consider the faith that we exercise today in our country and in our, our land. And we think about Paul. You can't help but think about the Apostle Paul. But even Paul would be tested. Even Paul would be tried over and over and over again. In 2 Corinthians, we find this pillar of the faith afflicted with what most would consider a physical condition. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, would you please? We're not 100% sure whether it was mental or physical, and that's really not the issue at all. But what is important is how Paul responds to it. Look in 2 Corinthians 12. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Now notice, thorn in the flesh. Flesh. I got to believe it was a physical issue. And he says, The messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Most believe that Paul had a sight problem. He had an issue with his eyes. And and he implies here, and he makes it clear to us, actually, that God allowed that, a a messenger of Satan to buffet him, a messenger of Satan to bring this affliction upon him, in in essence, to humble him, to ensure that his, his head didn't get too big to fit through the door, to keep him grounded How does he respond to this? Three times he begs God. Three times. Oh God, take away this thorn. Oh God, deliver me. 
three times. You say, I, I would have kept asking. He gets a reply from God. My grace is sufficient for thee. Have you ever prayed because you had a physical affliction and you knew that you should stop praying because God wants it for you? You ever done that? Do you ever get pray for something in your prayer life and you're begging God to do something, whether it's to deliver a family member or a friend from death or whether it's to remove an illness or something and you just know in your heart God's saying, no, that's what I want. Have you ever done that? You've ever felt that? You've ever had God speak to you like that? You know, it's not always God's will to deliver us from the things that are difficult in our lives. In this case, he's allowing this, this physical ailment in the life of the apostle for a purpose and a reason that is far, probably far beyond even the apostle Paul to some degree. He's probably thought at one point at least, listen, if I didn't have this eyesight problem, I could travel easier, I could write more, I could get things done for God in a much greater way. What's going on, God? What's your problem? I'm your servant. Why are you allowing this to happen? Take it away. God says, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul was asking God to remove the thorn in the flesh on one hand. But you know how he responded? But if not. That's how he responded, basically. But if you don't take it away, that's all right with me. I'll understand because you're God and I'm not. I'll go ahead and allow you to do what you want to do because you see things in a far greater capacity than I could ever dream. I don't see past tomorrow, but you see down the road. You know what I need and you know what the world needs. That's not always a very pleasant place to be and a conclusion that we really want to come to, but once we get there, we realize it's okay because it's God. But if not, Paul says, But if not, it'll be all right, God. It'll be all right. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me, he said. Think of Joseph. Joseph's life was one of just comfort and ease, wasn't it? I mean, he's so lucky. He became, he became like Pharaoh's right-hand man. He's so lucky. What a lucky dude. You realize it took 20 years to get there? I mean, he was his father's favorite, remember? I mean, it's so clear that even we recognize that the 10 brothers, and the ten brothers they, they're upset with him. They're, they're mad at him. They're even, they despise him for it. One day his brothers gang up on him. They, they conspire to kill him. It's good times, right? He's lucky. Lucky? We're going to see there was far more to it than luck. They end up selling him into slavery. Good times again, right? You know, sometimes we forget what it cost. I'm talking about the journey. Man, it's easy to look at people and go, they're so lucky. Look at all that money they got. Look at the cars they got. Look at this. Look at that. They're so lucky. Have you ever considered their journey? Do you ever consider what it cost them, maybe? We've got to think about that sometimes. Sometimes it costs them their family. Sometimes it costs them their, their own mental well-being. Sometimes it costs them their future. Sometimes it costs them years of their lives. 
Sometimes it just simply costs them their self-respect. It can cost a lot of things. But in this case, Joseph did nothing wrong. But I guarantee he paid a great price. Joseph would go from being his father's prized possession to a perilous pit. To Potiphar's house, then finally prison. It would be a journey that lasted about 20 years from the time he was 17 to 37 years of age. Can you imagine? 17 to 37. Despite that bumpy ride in the end, he could look back. And you know what he saw when he looked back? He saw often what, if we're not careful, we can fail to see. When I say we, I'm talking about me. He could see God's hand of provision, protection, and even prosperity. As he looked back on those 20 years, as he looked back on the fact that his brothers had literally planned to kill him and then sold him into slavery, as he ended up in Potiphar's house falsely accused and then in prison, he looks back on it all and says, You know what? God meant it for good. That is amazing. Well, if it turned out like that for me, I'd say the same thing. He made pretty good decisions all along the way, though, didn't he? You know, there's no evidence that he got bitter or angry with God along the way. There's no evidence of that. Now, we can go ahead and pretend and, you know, and try to act like they did, because, of course, we want him to be just like us. But God doesn't record any time you say, well, he had to have. Why? Because you would have? He had to turn his, he had to get angry with God. He had to shake his fist at God. Why? Because we would. There's no evidence of that in Scripture. As a matter of fact, the opposite. It appears that he literally took it the way God intended it to be taken. He's an example to us. It's funny, isn't it? If you've got a problem in your marriage, you assume everybody has that problem. You want everybody to have that problem because then it makes you normal. You've got problems with your kids. You've got to believe everybody's kid's a mess. It's how we are as human beings, right? We do that, you know? Well, you know how it is. Do I? Really? Do I? I don't know. Do I? You say, well, yeah, you're a dad. You know how it is. You're a husband. You know how them women are. Oh, you mean how your woman is and how you are. Dude, Take it easy. You, you're not sharing any information with me. You are testifying right now. You better keep your mouth shut. I don't believe Joseph was over there shaking his fist at God. I don't believe that for a minute. He handled it the way it needs to be handled. Watch this. Despite that bumpy ride in the end, he could look back, and he did. He saw God's hand of protection, provision, and prosperity. I'm sure those years had to drag on. I'm sure he dreamed of a brighter future. He had dreams from the time he was just a young boy. He may have cried out to God and said, Oh God, let it be now. Oh God, let it be now. Vindicate me. Free me. Yes, I'm sure he probably did. But we don't see him shaking his fist, getting angry, ticked off at God, blaming the Lord for all of his problems. And through every 
obstacle, every trial, every struggle. You know what he said? But if not. God, I don't want to be in slavery. I want you to deliver me. But if not, I'll just keep trusting you. I'll keep serving you. I don't want to be stuck here in a prison, falsely accused. I don't want to rot here in this place. Deliver me, God, but if not, I'll still stay faithful to you. How can you and I stand and shout as those three Hebrew children did, but if not? Because every one of us have struggles, every one of us have trials, every one of us face difficult times in our lives. And you know what? It'd be tempting to sometimes say, God, what is your problem? What do we do? How do we get to the place where we say, Lord, Satan, doesn't matter. I'm not careful to answer you on this one. God can deliver me from this fiery furnace, and God can deliver me from you. There's no doubt about it. But if not, how do we get to that place? Let me give you three simple thoughts. Number one, remember who God is. Remember who God is. Turn to Colossians chapter 1, would you please? Remember who God is. How do we get to the place where eventually we can finally say, along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, along with the Apostle Paul, or or possibly other saints in the Scriptures, Joseph in particular, but if not, how do we get there? It starts by remembering who God is. Colossians chapter 1, guess what? He's creator. For by him, chapter 1, verse 16, chapter 1, verse 16, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. The Lord Jesus is creator God. Man, he's the creator. He is God. I love the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 113, verses 4 through 6. The Lord is high above all nations, and His glory above the heavens. Who is like unto the Lord our God, who dwelleth on high? Who humbleth Himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth? The implication is that He's so high that He has to literally humble Himself to look upon heaven, His creation heaven. The literally, it's almost like he's above the universe and he has to just bow down in order to see it. He's so big, he's so high, he's so exalted that he has to bow down to see heaven, let alone earth. We little tiny specks of creatures on it. When we remember who God is, it becomes much easier for us to surrender our will to his will. I mean, are we his equal? Or better suited to choose what is best for us? The answer is obviously no. Let me, let me, can you imagine how miserable your children would be if they could always get their way? I mean, think about it for just a minute. I mean, they'd never eat anything but nuggets and mac and cheese. That's all they would ever eat. They'd, they'd draw, they would down pop and sugar drinks all day long. 
They'd try and stay up all night watching TV and playing video games. Every, every stitch of clothing would be dirty. There wouldn't be a thing to wear. Most children would boycott baths, brushing teeth, and washing their hands. They just boycott it. We're not doing it. And listen, we're God's children today. Do we really believe that we'd fare much better on our own? I mean, if God literally took his hands off our lives and removed every limit and all the struggles that we face, would we find ourselves, we'd find ourselves more undisciplined than ever, out of shape and miserable, even as those children we just described? Can you imagine? You can have anything you want, do anything you want, have no limits at all. What would our earth look like? But the moment, let's be honest, and, and I'm talking to me, the moment certain things enter our life that are uncomfortable, man, our first inclination is, God, come on now! What's going on? These young men faced death. At probably the age of around 20, their whole lives ahead of them, so to speak. And yet they said, but if not, King, we will not bow. If God doesn't deliver us out of that literal fiery furnace, if God doesn't you know, deliver us out of your hand, we're not bowing. No, we're just going to trust him anyway. Number two, not only do we need to remember who God is, high and lifted up. God who created all things. God who knows beginning to end. We need to remember what God did. Look, if you would, in Luke chapter 22, verse 39. Luke 22, verse 39. There in Luke chapter 22, verse 39, we begin reading, And he came out and went, as he was wont, to the Mount of Olives. And his disciple also, also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing... Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Do you know what the cup was? It wasn't the death on the cross. I'm sure, you know, one could surmise that it had to be the agony that he would ultimately experience and the pain and the suffering that he would go through. I don't believe that's what the cup really is. I don't think that's the significance of this cup. I think it's more the fact that Jesus would bear the sin of the world in his own body on the tree, and in doing so, he would endure the penalty of sin, which was death and separation from his heavenly Father. 
It was that separation that he dreaded. It was that disconnect that would take place, not because of his sin, but because of the sin that he bore in his own body, our sin, your sin, mine. In Mark chapter 15, verse 38, we read there, it says here, it says, and the veil of the temple was rent from in twain from the top to the bottom. The very moment that Christ died on the cross, all of a sudden now we had perfect access to the God of heaven. We were able to go into the temple. We were able to have access to God. Why? Because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Why? Because sin had now been removed. But that wouldn't have happened if he wouldn't have been separated for this that short time. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Simple passage, but one that's just power-packed. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. <laughs> the Bible says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Notice, he hath once suffered for sins, there on Calvary, the just for the unjust. He literally took our sin in his own body. God, who cannot look upon sin, ultimately had to say, listen, he is sin." That's crazy to even think about, to wrap our minds around. Remember what he did for you. Remember what he's done. It's amazing to think of the sacrifice that he made. Why did he do that for you? Why did he do that for me? For God so loved. He says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. It's amazing to think about God and how he loves us in spite of ourselves. There's no way we could ever repay God for what he did. And he did it because of love. And then when troubles come in our lives, we question whether God loves us or not. we got to remember what he's done and what he did for us on Calvary. We can never forget that he laid down his life willingly on our behalf. The moment we do that, we, we're at a disadvantage spiritually. The devil's got us on the ropes. We gotta remember who he is. And as we learn more about who he is, we understand he can be trusted. We remember what he's done by literally giving his life on our behalf, paying for our sin when we deserved nothing better than a place called the lake of fire. And then number three, we need to remember what God is doing. Turn, if you would, to Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Jeremiah chapter 18, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house. There I'll cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. 
And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel that seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the hand, in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. I know he's talking about Israel, but the principle is still the same. He's saying as the potter is, is working on the clay, there's a mar there, there's, a, there's an impurity there. And he, he says, you know what, we got to start from scratch. And he takes that, what was developed, what seemed to be growing, what seemed to be working out pretty well up until that moment. And he says, you know what, ah. And he starts again. And he says, that's what I'm going to do with you, Israel. Do I not have a right as the potter to do that in your heart, your lives, your nation? And he turns to us as believers and he says, listen, there's times you're going to feel like things are really going well. Man, you're being formed and man, things are going perfectly fine. And all of a sudden you feel like the bottom falls out. I'm the potter. You're the clay. Don't I have a right to get the bar out, to get the impurity out? to make it better than ever, to form you and to mold you into exactly what you need to become. That's what he's trying to do in our lives. That's an uncomfortable time. It's a difficult time. I don't know, I wonder how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I wonder if they were ever tempted to cast God out again. I wonder if anybody could have even tempted them with God doesn't love you. God's not there for you. God doesn't care about you. You sure you can trust God in your life? You sure that he's worthy of, of all the respect you give him and all the adoration that you bestow upon him? Are you sure that every time you bow and take your life in your own hands, are you sure it's worth it after the fiery furnace event? Do you wonder if they ever questioned it? I believe they probably were more spiritually strong than they'd ever been. I got to believe it had only built them. I believe it might have brought them to a place where, who knows, maybe, just maybe, maybe. They were spiritually more sturdy and strong than ever in their lifetime. What are you doing, God? I don't understand it. But i got to believe because I know who you are. I know you. I've been studying scripture. I've seen what you're all about. I know the kind of characteristics and qualities and attributes that you possess. I realize how much you love me. I know what you did for me in the past. And I can't question how you saved my soul and how you literally laid your own life down on my behalf. I know you care about me. And I know you love me. And I know, even though I don't fully comprehend or understand why you're permitting this in my life, I've got to trust you today because I know you're doing something I don't always know what it is, but I know you're doing something that will make me better even. And ultimately impact those around me more fully for your glory. Philippians 1, 6, 6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work, and you will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. He began a work in our life. And that work sometimes is, it can be uncomfortable. Romans 8, 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. 
get to know him. The more we know him, the greater our confidence in him will be. You know, years ago, you know, in closing, my dad, my dad worked for Goodyear. And uh, there was a contract dispute that led to a strike. I remember it was in the late 70s. Uh, I believe it was the late 70s. And I, I was just a youngster. I was a teenager at the time, a young teenager, actually, when this all took place. But I still remember that they had this contract dispute. And I knew that things were not normal around the O'Donnell house. That was obvious because my dad was around, and that was scary. <laughs> but you know what? I never stayed up at night. I didn't lay in bed worrying all the time. Now, I didn't know whether my dad would have a job or not. I, I, I really didn't know. I, I wasn't sure whether they would settle sooner or later. I, I didn't have a clue as to how the strike would end up. But what I did know, I knew my dad. I knew he loved me. I knew he was concerned about me. You know, I'd watched, I'd watched as over the years he supplied our every need, that he cared for me, my family, my mom. I may not have known much about Goodyear or whether or not my dad would have a job or not. I didn't have any of that. And my parents didn't burden me down with that mess. I, I didn't necessarily know how the bills would be paid or where the next meal would come, but I did know my dad. He was trustworthy. He was dependable. He was responsible. And no matter what the circumstances, I was sure that he could be trusted with the situation and with my best interest. I, I believed that. Three Hebrew children faced a furious king, a fiery furnace, and a very frightening decision. And yet they said, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. We aren't going to bow. Our God is able to protect us. Our God is able to provide. Our God is able to even prosper us. But if not... We will not serve thy gods or worship your image. We're not doing it. We'll simply trust our God because he's trustworthy. I wonder as a believer today, will you and I stand for our heavenly father no matter what? No matter what we face? Maybe today you, you haven't begun a personal relationship with the Lord. You know, it's real simple. You say, what would I need to do? Because I'm going to tell you, you need a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Without that relationship with Christ, then you're still in your sin. You say, I know, but everybody's a sinner. They are. We all are. However, our sin, if we're on the right side, on the right team, in the right family, the family of God, if you get in the right team by trusting and receiving Christ into your life, your sin has been addressed and dealt with. God did a surgery in there to clean you up on the inside out. You're still going to trip up and mess up in this old flesh. But God did something on the inside that changes you forever. 
He redeemed you. He purchased you with his perfect shed blood, his sacrifice on Calvary. He literally cleansed you and washed your sin away. And you, the Bible says, are a new creature in Christ. That happens the moment you place your trust in him. You have to acknowledge your sin, though. You have to admit, I am a sinner, a big sinner, and a bigger sinner than anybody I know. I look in the mirror and I see sin. I do my best to try to live a right, good, clean life, but I just mess it up. I'm a sinner today and I know it. You have to acknowledge your sin. You have to believe that Jesus is the Savior and that he, his sacrifice is sufficient payment for your sin. That Jesus died for a reason, for a cause, not just to come and be a good example to mankind, not to show us how we ought to give our lives on behalf of others, no. He died because without his sacrifice, without his shed blood, you can't have your sin addressed and dealt with and therefore you will pay for it yourself one day in eternity by being eternally separated from God forever in a place called the lake of fire. You gotta believe that Jesus is the savior, that his sacrifice is sufficient payment and as savior, he, was, he lived a perfect sinless life. He was the God man. And only Jesus lived a perfect life. Nobody else ever has. Nobody else ever will. And then last, you have to confess your sin and call upon the Savior today. You have to say, you know what, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, but I also know that you came and died for me on the cross to pay for my sin, and that no matter how much I try, I'll never be good enough to get there on my own. I've got to have you and what you did for me on Calvary to wash my sin away. It's all you, Jesus. And I need you in my life today. I'm telling you, I agree with you, God. I'm, I'm worthless in myself. I'm a nobody. I'm a nothing without you. I need you desperately. And you know what? If that offended you, friend, you don't know the Bible. Our pride stands between us and God so often we can't even, can't even walk a few feet without tripping over it. We wonder why we can't get answers from God. We wonder why our lives are wrecked and ruined today. we got to finally come to the place where we know we got nothing without him. You can do no- he says that you can do nothing without me. Oh, we got to get to that place. And you can't get to heaven without him for sure, friend. Won't you just trust him today? Won't you receive him? Won't you acknowledge that there's no hope without Jesus in your life? For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today, you need to get saved. You need to receive Christ as your Savior. Those are the same thing, by the way. Getting saved, receiving Christ, accepting the Lord, that's the same thing. Just different ways of saying it. You might have heard somebody say, you need born again, friend. That means you need saved. That means you need to accept Christ. That means you need to accept the fact that without Jesus, you can't get to heaven. That all means the same thing. But it starts with a relationship. You have to come to him and acknowledge your sin. Believe that he is the Savior and that his sacrifice is sufficient payment. And confess your sin and call upon the Savior today. Won't you do that? just a moment the music will play we'll give you a chance to do that if you're a child of God today if confronted with a very difficult choice to stand for the Lord Jesus or not can you like those Hebrew children say 
But if not, if he doesn't do what I think he should or I want, I'm still going to keep serving him. And I will not bow to sin, to Satan, or to the society I live in. I will bow to Jesus only. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, that you just bless us today. Help us, Lord, we pray, to have the same spirit and attitude that these three Hebrew children had. They were young men, young men. Lord, today the world, it does have a grip on us. We're all affected by it. We can't help but be affected. But Lord, may we truly allow your word and your truths, Father, to weigh heavier, to not let the world and the flesh control us, but allow your word and your spirit to do so. Today, there may be those that are without Christ that don't know for sure heaven's their home. They haven't settled or not, whether or not they're even part of the family of God by calling on Jesus and inviting him into their life. Lord, they need to do that first and foremost. That's the prerequisite. They must enter into that relationship with you by accepting Jesus as their Savior. May they do so today. Father, we'll thank you in Christ's name. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed.